What's up, guys, and welcome back to Unquestionable with Calvin Smith. I'm your host, Calvin. I appreciate you guys tuning in tonight, and I'm really happy to have you here. I've got a cool subject to talk about, but first things first, I wanted to let you guys know that if you want to check me out on Facebook, all you need to do is type into that little search bar, Unquestionable with Calvin Smith. My cool little pyramid uh, picture will pop up for you to look at, and you can give me a like and a follow over there. And same thing on Instagram. You can follow me at Unquestionable Podcast on Instagram. And you can listen to the podcast on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Breaker, Anchor FM. You can just go to Google and literally type in Unquestionable with Calvin Smith. You can type in Unquestionable Podcast. Same difference. I come up either way. Or if you really want, you can just type in Calvin Smith. And I'm pretty positive that just me would pop up with my original music, which if you haven't listened to my original music yet... Uh, my song Empty Room is out now, available to listen everywhere, just as this podcast is. And I'm hoping within the next uh, maybe six or eight months, maybe, we'll see what happens, uh, that I get an EP out there. Because I do have a couple more songs written up that I'd love to share with you guys, as long as you'd be willing to listen. But first, I encourage you to go check out that single Empty Room. I put a lot of hard work into it. And also, of course, go check out the podcast everywhere. Now, today's topic, I'm really excited about. I really um, have a passion for it. Now, about four or five years ago, I found people um, like Brian Forrester, Graham Hancock, Robert Bouval, John Anthony West, uh, people really into the ancient civilizations and ancient lost high technology possibility. That brings me into the subject tonight, which is going to be about the Sphinx. Okay, the Egyptian Sphinx. I'm no Egyptologist or Sphinx expert, you could say, uh, but I've done my fair share of research on the Sphinx in my own time. I've spent hundreds of hours, tons of videos, uh, writing my own material, trying to trying to figure things out. Uh, I mean, looking at math that these people on like ancient aliens do, you know, everything from what what would be considered, you know, what you would find in like a modern textbook. Everything from there to what would be considered pseudoscientific, which we're going to get into a little bit about that label, pseudoscientific, because specifically what I'm going to go over tonight is basically considered pseudoscientific. But I guess uh, I guess I'll let you guys decide by the end of this. Now, as I said before, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Sphinx because I'm very passionate about the Sphinx. I love it. It's an enigma. It's beautiful. It's my life goal to go see it in person. Now, the Great Sphinx in Egypt faces directly west to east, and it stands on the Giza Plateau in what is now Cairo, Egypt, and it's on the west bank of the Nile. The Great Sphinx measures 240 feet long, 60 feet high, and has the body of a lion and the, and the head of a human. Uh, some consider it to be male, some say it's female. It's kind of, honestly, 50-50s. Every, everyone kind of depicts it a little different. I personally think it's more of a male face, but uh, I think it's a little bit more of a masculine jawline, if I say so myself. Now, what's interesting is the Sphinx is actually carved out of one solid piece of limestone bedrock. Okay, bedrock. So it's interesting um, that it's in bedrock. Okay, so not, it's not just a little bit into the bedrock. This thing is like 50, 60 feet plus into the bedrock, um, which means that, you know, the the... When you walk up to Egypt, you see the, the pyramids, you know, they're right there, ground level. And you basically have to look down into this pit, the Sphinx enclosure, 
and you will see the sphinx. Uh, basically, at eye level would be like the neck of the sphinx is eye level. So the point of these Egyptians or different civilization carving it that far into the bedrock? That's, that's very interesting. Why would they do that? Why wouldn't they just build it on ground level? Because when they found the sphinx, it actually was just the head. Uh, like I said, you know, the neck is eye level, so it's literally just the head that was popping up out of the ground. And um, by the time they dug it up, I believe the nose was gone already and, uh, you know, everything of that. And I think it's still a mystery as to what happened to the nose. I think that's a big, uh, a big, if, you know, what if out there. I, I think the general consensus is that some kids were like doing target practice on it, knocked it off or something, which honestly, it's it's pretty plausible. I mean, that seems like a pretty good explanation if I say so myself, or maybe it was some, you know, uh, some Romans or something that were pissed off. Who knows? But Anyways, uh, the Sphinx has been buried for most of its lifetime. and uh, it, But the interesting thing is that it shows significant examples of heavy erosion, both wind and water erosion on the Sphinx. Now, I'll get a little bit into that water erosion there. Um, now, it's generally believed that the head of the Sphinx depicts Pharaoh Shephren. And he's also credited with building the Second Pyramid as well. This, uh, now basically the Sphinx is known as the oldest monumental sculpture, I'm sorry, oldest monumental sculpture uh, in Egypt and is commonly believed to have been designed, sculpted, and constructed by ancient Egyptians of the Old Kingdom during the reign of Pharaoh Shephren uh, from 2558 BC to 2532 BC, which will put it about 4,500 years old. Uh, that evidence of Shephren building the pyramid or I'm sorry, the Sphinx and the Pyramid, comes from the discovery beside the Sphinx of, uh, I'm going to try to say this, I'm probably going to mess it up, a Northrosite Nice, uh, which is a rock related to diorite, which is a pretty common type of hammering uh, rock that they would use throughout Egypt to, um, that they use to obviously build their structures. There was also, this statue was named Shephren Enthroned, quote-unquote, and uh, like I said, it was discovered upside down, along with some other debris, such as what's called the Dream Stela in front of the monument. And so that basically is, is what's supposed to support the Shephren built the Sphinx theory, is this, this discovery of this statue and this Dream Stela that mentioned Shephren on it. It's interesting. I mean, I don't, I personally don't, think that just because a statue of somebody was found next to a structure that you should just go, ah, it was that guy. No big deal. Which I'm sure they have some other research about it too, but it just, once I get into what I'm going to get into tonight, you'll understand where I'm coming from. So, okay. That's kind of the general consensus of, you know, how, how people look at the Sphinx. It's kind of what you would read in any school textbook. Now, where I'm coming from is, I'm, I, okay, so like I said, I'm really interested in these people like Robert Bouval and uh, Graham Hancock, people of the sort, and that brings me on to this man by the name of John Anthony West, okay? He, I believe he made his first appearance in a 1993 documentary named Mystery of the Sphinx, which put a spotlight on the author and independent Egyptologist, and... This documentary, guys, if you haven't seen the documentary Mystery of the Sphinx, which you can go to YouTube, 
type in mystery. Don't type in mystery of the Sphinx because you won't find it surprisingly. If you type in mysteries of the Sphinx with IES, mysteries of the Sphinx in YouTube, it's the first result right there. And um, amazing documentary from 1993. It's very low quality and uh, it's, it's a little hard to listen to. The audio is pretty terrible, but all in all, you can listen to it. And it does have some amazing evidence in it that you guys really need to look at if you're interested in the Sphinx at all. Uh, even if you think that this is some sort of fringe theory that I'm going to go into. All right. So John Anthony West was enthralled with the Sphinx, Egypt in general, and just the dating of the Sphinx. He was convinced that the Sphinx was older than 4,500 years old, and that came from the strange vertical fissures that were found on the Sphinx and the Sphinx enclosure. He he knew for sure, even not as a geologist, just looking at these in his own studies and uh, looking at the works of other people, other geologists, he could tell right off the bat, he was like, this is water erosion. Why is there water erosion on the Sphinx? 4,500 years ago, it was still a desert right there. So why is this water erosion there? So that's when John Anthony West seek the help of multiple professionals in the field of geology and erosion. And he actually got in contact with a couple people, but he got turned down a lot because people were afraid of losing their jobs. I mean, obviously, if you go against the general consensus with something like the Sphinx is older than 4,500 years old, and not even just a couple hundred we're talking thousands of years older than 4,500 years old, which I'll get into that in a second. There was one um, geologist that he was able to, that John Anthony West was able to get in contact with. And he thought, what if I put masking tape over the Sphinx and I just show the body of it to where you can't tell that it's a Sphinx, but it's just a rock formation. What would they say not? So, he puts masking tape on the like paw portion of the Sphinx and then on the head as well, so that it just kind of looks like a rock formation. He brings us to this geologist without even mentioning anything. He says, now looking at this rock formation, what do you think happened here? What is What type of erosion is going on in this formation? Without skipping a beat, this geologist goes, that's water erosion. No doubt. Jonathan goes, really? It's water erosion, huh? peels off the masking tape and this guy's face, this guy's eyes turned into dinner plates. He was like, oh shit, I just said that? Like, wow, that's interesting. So he did further investigate it a little bit um, until he eventually got back in contact with John Anthony West, said that he could no longer continue with the research uh, in fear of basically rejection, losing his grants, losing his career, losing his house. You know, this is what happens when people try to go against the general consensus. And um, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of why I made this podcast, because I want to get the word out for these people. If they have evidence that things are older than they are, I want them to bring it to me. I want you guys to hear the evidence and spread the word, too, because if we're learning wrong information in the textbooks, I mean, I want to know as many true things and as few false things as possible. And if that means that we have to redate the Sphinx because we have current evidence that says so, then we have to redate the Sphinx. Um. Anyways, that's just kind of where I'm coming from. Now, what's interesting is that um, it has, it does have wind erosion on it. You can look at the uh, the Sphinx and actually see that it does have wind erosion on it. 
Uh, now, West suggests that the evidence the erosion of the erosion in the Sphinx enclosure was attributed to water, and uh, that that means that the Sphinx had to be at least nine thousand years old because that's the last time there was a significant amount of water of precipitation in that area of Egypt it was at least nine thousand years ago. Okay. Now, basically, the bedrock in Giza is what a lot of people attribute to like a layer cake. It's composed of hard and soft rocks, kind of like, you know, harder rock, softer rock, harder rock, softer rock, a kind of, you know, layer cake. And the sandy winds throughout Egypt with this uh, harder rock kind of composition in it, it chips away at the softer rock and it leaves the harder layers intact. So basically you have this type of waviness. Now that's when the water erosion comes in. Um, now, Robert Schock shows examples and mysteries of the Sphinx of how these vertical fissures found within the Sphinx and the Sphinx enclosure uh, over, you know, remaining harder rocks, too. So basically, the wind has already taken away all the softer rock, and there's still these vertical fissures. Very, I mean, it can literally only be done by water. It, like, quote, unquote, from Dr. Schock himself, it says it could have only been done by heavy substantial precipitation selectively eroding softer rock over harder rocks unquote that is from dr robert shock uh, but like i said the last time there was precipitation of that you know volume was 9000 to 11000 years ago so that kind of aligns with people like graham hancock and randall carlson with their theory of the Younger Dryas impact hypothesis, uh, like how there was a comet that possibly around 14,000 years ago hit the Earth, and uh, it caused it caused basically a massive flooding of the Earth. But I might get into that in a different episode. The Younger Dryas impact hypothesis is something just massive, and there's so much information about it. And, uh, you know, maybe one day I can actually get Graham Hancock or Randall Carlson or someone of that matter who's who knows more about this Younger Dryas impact hypothesis than I do on here. Um, another thing, another side note real quick. Uh, Dr. Robert Schock nowadays has been studying sun flares and the possibility of, at that time, a sun flare happened, um, which caused basically to, it caused human civilization to hit a reset button because it basically just vaporized everything essentially, which means it would have vaporized this civilization that could have been pre-dynastic Egypt and built this Sphinx, okay? So that's something interesting that Dr. Shock has been working on. And once again, if I do a show on the Younger Dryas Impact Hypothesis, obviously I'm going to talk about Dr. Shock's Sun Flare stuff because that kind of runs hand-in-hand hand with it. Uh, Dr. Shock actually was a proponent of the Younger Dryas Impact Hypothesis at first, but his independent research nowadays is kind of showing that sun flares is more than likely uh, they're they're more common than you would believe actually, and uh, they're more common than a meteor hitting us. We can say that for sure, and the possibility of that. So that's basically where Robert Shock is coming from is that he thinks that it was more so sun flares nowadays. But anyways, I'll get into that another day. Interesting enough, getting back to the Sphinx a little bit. Now, they practice using a seismograph around the Sphinx. Now, a seismograph essentially is when they lay a sheet of metal on the ground and they hit this thing with a fucking hammer. <laughs> and 
it bounces the uh, resonance through the sand and it'll basically tell you if there's anything hidden under there, if there's any chambers or really big stones, structures, anything of that matter, a fucking car, I don't know, a UFO under the sand. It tell, it'll bounce back and tell you basically how far that vibration went down before it came back. Uh, obviously, that's way out of my realm. I'm not going to get more into that <laughs> than that, but they use that around the Sphinx. Now, like I said, it would help identify structures. And what's interesting is that the seismograph showed more weathering to the ground at the front and the sides of the Sphinx rather than the back. So the back was actually one to three, the back of the Sphinx was one to three feet higher. It was deeper, one, one to three feet deeper in the back of the Sphinx than it was in the front and the sides. That kind of leads, uh, that, that leads Robert Schock to believe that the rump was actually carved out a little later, possibly by Shepherd. Uh, so Robert Schock at this point is thinking that Shepherd could have stumbled upon the Sphinx, or maybe it was left over from a previous pharaoh, and he finished it, essentially. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about Dr. Zahi A. Hawass, okay? Dr. Hawass, he's an, Egypt, he's an Egyptian archaeologist, Egyptologist, and former Minister of State for Antiquities Affairs for Egypt. Now, he firmly believes and frankly is not really willing to move on at this point his confidence he's believes that firmly believes that his confidence in the sphinx head being carved in Sheffron's image is exactly what the school textbook would say that's that's what it is is that the sphinx is depicting Sheffron. which is what's interesting is that computer imaging technology which obviously now we have uh we imposed Sheffron's likeness over the Sphinx. Obviously, we have lots of, not lots, but we have quite a few depictions of Sheffron. So we have, you know, multiple points uh, that we can look at as far as his facial structure goes. They put it over the Sphinx and it, even though Dr. Hawass claims it was an exact match, you could literally look at it yourself, guys, which I'm going to put pictures of this on Instagram, but you can look at it yourself and it's it's so obvious that they're not the right, they're not the same person. And the reason why I say that, and I'm so confident in that, is because ancient Egyptians, the precision of the faces and artifacts that they made, I mean, look at the pyramids. They were experts, or they had some sort of technology that we still haven't discovered yet, which is also kind of where Graham Hancock and Brian Forrester is coming from, is that they more so might have had that technology at the time of building the Sphinx. And Maybe this sun flare or impact caused the information to disappear. Anyway, the Egyptians were very uncanny as far as their depictions of how people's faces were. They wouldn't just mirror your face. You know, it wouldn't be an exact uh, symmetrical. Okay, if you if they were looking at you and you had one eye that sunk a little lower or it sunk into your head a little more, or if you had one ear that was a little bent like me, or if you had a mole on your face, they would put that in every single depiction of you, whether it's papyrus or hieroglyphs or 
making statues of you, they would make it like exact. If you had a dimple on one side of your face, they'd put, put it on one side of your face on that side of the face. They were very precise. Okay. So I'm going to tell you guys, go, go to Instagram and look at my pictures because I'm going to post some pictures of some facial reconstruction that they did. And it's, it's not the same. It's not the same person. In fact, this leads me to my next kind of point here. After John Anthony West looked at the Sphinx and determined that it, it looks really weird. It doesn't really look like Sheffrin, you know, that I, I could be wrong. He invested the help of Detective Frank Domingo, and he's an expert in the field of facial reconstruction. And he's written multiple abstracts and articles on the art of facial reconstruction or re recognition and identification. And he's very respected in his fields with decades of experience. Detective Domingo examined the statue of Sheffrin from multiple angles and, uh, and as well as the Sphinx head, basically mug shots, essentially all different angles. Uh, he's taking measurements, everything. I mean, he's, he's doing the, as much as he possibly can to get the most exact information that he can. Once again, this is all shown in the documentary mystery of the Sphinx. I encourage you guys to go watch it because Dr. Detective Domingo actually explains his entire process on how he does that. And he shows it, it's filmed him doing it. Detective Domingo, by the end of his examination, determined that the Sphinx face was more square and Sheffron's face was more oval. Detective Domingo concluded the Sphinx is not Sheffron. Is not, based off his professional opinion. He says the face relates closer to a black African facial structure or like maybe a black African king or a queen, possibly. Interesting. So that kind of leads me into, you know, think, I mean, obviously, once again, guys, I'm going to tell you guys, go, go look at it. And uh, they show examples of black African facial structures next to uh, the Sphinx. And it's a lot closer of a match than, uh, than like an, a Northern Egyptian face would be like Sheffrin. So very interesting stuff there. Something else interesting. The inventory stela, okay. The inventory stela is an inscribed limestone tablet that uh, it's 70 centimeters by a 42 centimeters. It's a big slab, and it says that Shefren's father Khufu, who obviously was a pharaoh as well, built the temple next to the cavity of the Sphinx. Okay, now pause. This is before Shefren is born. Okay, this tablet. In stone, it says that the structure next to the Sphinx was built by Khufu. That means that the Sphinx was there before Shefren. What else? It predates Shefren. I don't know. Like, where else do you go? Where else do you go from there? And yet, it just it makes me so angry. You know that it literally has it in stone, and it's people are they're just like, nope, it was built by Shefren, even though he, you know. Wasn't born yet or anything. No big deal. <laughs> if anything, I would I would be more willing to accept that Khufu built the built uh, the Sphinx. You know, like uh, come on. Now uh, the Temple of the Sphinx was actually built at the same time as the Sphinx and from the Sphinx in enormous blocks. Some of these blocks, guys, were two hundred tons. Some blocks are 250, 300 tons. Massive. I mean, they're the size of a small house, essentially. 
Um, now, modern academia and a textbook will tell you that these people were putting these on wood logs and pulling them. Now, pulling them, okay? That's just so... That's that's just ludicrous. Uh, that would take so many men, so much time, so much energy, and then at the same time, what's the fucking point? What's the point? Why do... You know, like, why... If Sheffrin did build this, why would he care? Why would he, what happened to the head of it if that's the case? You know, because the head is not the original head. Any Egyptologist will tell you that is that the head is not the original head. So what happened to the original head? What did it's generally thought that the head of it was a sphinx, or I'm sorry, a a lioness, but. At the same time, we don't have any evidence for that. We don't have anything left over for it. So it's just, it's very weird, you know. How do they, how do they move these rocks 60 plus feet above the ground? You know, they're obviously deep down in this cavity, uh, this this sphinx enclosure. How are they lifting these so far up? How are they getting it out of the enclosure? How are they positioning these rocks in the sphinx enclosure? Or I'm sorry, in the the sphinx temple. And I'm going to tell you guys. Go check out the documentary because I'm not going to cover this today, but the Sphinx Temple itself is literally a whole episode on its own. The Sphinx Temple next to the Sphinx is amazing. And if anything, it, it, it's it's just as interesting as the Sphinx itself. However, I just think there's more to go off of the Sphinx personally. So that's why I like to kind of focus around that. Uh, some interesting kind of theories here. It's confirmed confirmed 100% that there is a chamber directly under the left paw of the Sphinx, and it's covered by a large slab of limestone with a wooden walkway now covering a large portion of this limestone cover. So now it's virtually impossible to explore it without destroying this walkway. Like I said, I follow Brian Forrester on all social media and on YouTube, and if you're not following Brian Forrester, I encourage you to go follow him too. I did a podcast with him. Really smart guy, really awesome guy. Hope to have him on again. He does a video, he does hundreds of thousands of videos, and um, he went to the Sphinx, and I just recently saw this video, maybe a week ago, where he's pointing the camera directly at the left paw of the Sphinx. You can see this wooden pathway, and he points out, he says, see that slab right there? You can see this limestone slab, just a, like a corner of it, kind of poking out. And he says that that's where that that hidden chamber is supposedly at. is directly under that paw. Now see how the walkway covers it. Why would they cover it? It's literally the like, the it's just a lid on this. You know, they just need to move the lid. Um, who's to say they haven't yet and already taken whatever it is down there, if anything. But it's like, why hide it? You know, Brian Forrester even claims that he's talked to tourists and tour guides and Egyptologists themselves asking, hey, you know, what do you, what do you think is under... Uh, what do you think is under that paw there? Is, or what do you think is under that walkway right there? And they say, oh, that's that's the lid. That's the that's to that secret chamber under the Sphinx. You know, no big deal. Just a secret chamber under the Sphinx's paw that no one has ever explored, supposedly. So it's like, what the hell? You know, why? It's confirmed that it's down there, like without a doubt, 100%. Now, you will not find it any information as to po as opposed to what is in it or what was in it. I'll get a little bit into that in a second. There's another chamber confirmed under the rump of the Sphinx, which was reportedly explored, but 
still not open to the public. You still can't access what exactly they found, if anything. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that there there was something down there, but regardless of what it is, if there was nothing down there, why not just say it? Why not just say there was nothing down there and show it? But they're saying, you know, yeah, we went under the rump of the Sphinx. And then we go, yeah, okay, what'd you find? Crickets. And it's, that's it. Crickets. They're like, yeah, you know, well, oh man, look at, you know, wind erosion. It's, <laughs> they just change subject. It's there. No one is, no one will say what is down there. And once again, that chamber is confirmed. It's was confirmed to have supposedly been explored by, I believe, Dr. Zahi Hawass, I believe has actually explored it. Very interesting. We have no idea what's down there. A theory is that the legendary Hall of Records is under the Sphinx. Not going to get super into it, but a short version of it is the Hall of Records was the purported ancient library holding vast knowledge of the human race and the origins of organized civilization as we know it today and possibly of the old civilization and mentions uh, basically I'm not going to touch on this a whole lot today because I don't know a ton about it, but the Egyptians talked a lot about this Zeptepi, which essentially was it was like a heaven of sorts. Could this Hall of Records held the secrets to this Zeptepi, this, you know, vast knowledge, this paradise? You know, interesting. It's very interesting. Um, I wonder if maybe that's the kind of starting points for religion, possibly, is that this Zeptepi. That's a, that's a good theory that a lot of people kind of think about is that a lot of religions kind of branch off of the Egyptians. Anyways, I'm kind of getting off subject there. Another rumored chamber, rumored chamber, or lever machine or something is located, quote unquote, behind the, uh, the one of the ears of the Sphinx. A lot of people say the right. Now, the, the only interesting thing is that there's there's no evidence really for that. I did find one picture online of what it had like a, you know, it was a picture of the, the right side of the Sphinx and there was like a red circle around like a little doorway with an arrow. And it's like, Ooh, look at this kind of thing. But I don't know how real that picture is. I don't know if, if that was edited in it had, I didn't click on like the website. Cause I think it looked like a sketchy website. So whether that was a real picture or not, I don't know. I couldn't find any other picture of the side of the Sphinx with that door. So I mean, unless you can find multiple to send to me, I'm open to it. Or maybe if I find them, I'll throw them on Instagram, Facebook, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it's not really anything that we can prove. Although I, I thought that I, I read this story a couple of years ago where I like watched a YouTube video or something of this kid who had some sort of past life experience where, um, he, he, I believe he thought that he was an Egyptian who helped like build the Sphinx and the pyramids and all that jazz. One of those types of things. And he says that he saw, he, he had his hand on this lever or machine in this, in the ear of the Sphinx. So interesting, but you know, there's no evidence to back it up. So why should we ever even entertain it? If I'm being completely honest, um, 
I've heard some rumors about there being a chamber on the very top of the Sphinx, like a little hatch. And from what I understand, I honestly, I haven't done it yet, but I, I should do it directly after this recording is look it up on Google. You know, is, are, are you able to like actually see the top of the Sphinx on Google Maps? I've heard that you can actually see this hatch from Google Maps, uh, Skyview, basically. Um, and there's tons of like pictures and videos. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty confident that there is some sort of hatch on top of the head. Um, I haven't really done a ton of research on it. So it's, you know, I don't know. I guess you guys can uh, research that yourself and see if there's anything to that theory. Um, but it's it's something interesting. So anyways, I'm not going to touch a ton on this today because I'm not super educated on it. Um, you know, I'm. I'm almost positive I have I've had someone mention it in the past, one of my previous guests, but the Orion correlation theory. People like Graham Hancock and John Anthony West before he passed away, rest in peace, Robert Bouval and um, Larry Paul, the director of the American Institute of Pyramid Research. People like that are really into this Orion correlation theory as well as some other star constellation correlation theories is that the layout of the Giza Plateau matches up near perfect with the Orion constellation and like with Sirius and um, so on and so forth. It's just very interesting how all of this stuff lines up perfectly. And these people with bronze tools and, and you know, bronze chisels and, and copper hammers, you know, they're, they're, how, how did they get these exact measurements of the stars? You know, I, and why did they care? Why were they so enthralled by space? And the thing is, is that they didn't talk a ton about like outer space. I mean, obviously they, they referred to like the heavens and stuff like that, which I'm sure they, they looked at as space, but it's just like, I don't think they, they really mentioned anything directly saying that they, that um, they built this in correlation with Orion, which is very interesting that it lines up like to a, almost a damn near exact degree. Um, but I'm going to leave that explanation, the Orion correlation theory up to previous and future guests, because uh, that's way out of my league at, at this moment, to be completely honest. I still have a lot of learning to do on it. I've got a book on the way about it. So I'm really excited to, really dig into it and learn more about it because it's something I just kind of started learning about the past couple weeks. Um, so I'm really interested to see what kind of evidence that holds. But anyways, guys, that's going to be the last uh, thing that I really have to go over for the Sphinx. So let me know your thoughts. You know, I have always been interested in the Sphinx. Sphinx, I think, is one of the most if not the most beautiful structure on the planet and as well as the pyramids. And I think that it's disingenuous just for modern academia and Egyptologists to just throw this label that the Sphinx was built 4,500 years ago by Pharaoh Shefren in uh, the old kingdom period. That's what it did. You know, and they, they, that's it. What the textbook says is how it's done. And in this, like I said, I'm going to bring up the, this documentary again, this 1993 documentary 
Mystery of the Sphinx, there's actually a small portion where Robert Schock and John Anthony West are presenting this material to um, some professionals in the field for peer review. And they basically get laughed right out of the auditorium. The evidence, guys, I'm telling you, I am a skeptic. I don't believe in shit, okay? <laughs> you know, I don't believe in God. I don't necessarily believe in aliens. That's a, that's really difficult for me to answer. You know, I don't really, you know, once again, I don't believe in Bigfoot. There's not enough evidence for Bigfoot for me, but I'm open to it. If someone presents me evidence to change my mind, I am open to it. And I'm willing to accept it. These guys like Graham Hancock and Robert Schock, John Anthony West, Robert Bouval, Randall Carlson, Larry Paul, um, Mark Carlotto, you know, all these people are, Brian Forster, they're presenting evidence, hard evidence. You can go out and test, you can fly to Egypt and test this stuff yourself. You can go on YouTube and look up YouTube videos and do it, you know? There's so much evidence for it, guys. And the fact that these people are just like, it's crazy because in the documentary, Robert Schock is presenting this evidence, quite frankly, and then these people are saying, where's the evidence? You know, where is, where's these ancient structures? Where's the buildings? Where's the cars? Where's the, where, you know, of this ancient civilization, so on and so forth. And Robert Schock is shaking his head because think about it, guys, your car is going to rot away in about a hundred years, about a hundred years your car is not going to exist. It's going to rust away into nothing in probably less than a hundred years, to be completely honest. You know, my car from 2001 that I had previously was damn near rusted down to nothing. And it was only, uh, what, 15 years old? Come on. You're, you're thinking, I mean... The, if they, if there was an ancient civilization from you know nine thousand plus years ago that built the Sphinx, there wouldn't be anything left. Not to mention, if there was a global cataclysm, like a flood, solar flares, a fucking meteor hitting the Earth, and you know causing global catastrophe. Uh, I mean, like Robert Schock explains in his sun sun flare theory that at some point, which is damn near proven. He has the evidence for it. I encourage you to go check out his website. I'm probably going to link it in the description of this podcast because he talks about his sun flares. I mean, it was raining fire for hundreds of years, guys, like literal fireballs raining from the sky. We're talking tornadoes. I mean, it's the fucking day after tomorrow out there with these sun flares that Dr. Shock has been showing hard evidence about. And the fact that modern academia doesn't want to accept this evidence for the Sphinx or the Pyramid or or Pumapunku, Tiwanaku, Machu Picchu, Gobekli Tepe, anything of the sort, it's just disingenuous that they're just not accepting it. And I'm hoping that there's some sort of shift coming uh, on a rise to where, you know, obviously if I have this podcast and other podcasts... Um, that talk about ancient civilizations like this. Maybe we can get that evidence out there and get people to kind of second guess what they believe because Robert Schock, he's not presenting this stuff and John Anthony West. I'm sorry. They're not presenting this stuff to embarrass themselves. They don't want to lose their grants. They don't want to lose their career. They want to warn us 
because things like sun flares and meteors, those can hit at any time, guys. I mean, you think about it, this meteor, it, like Graham Hancock says, if this would have hit the Earth uh, 11,000 years ago that caused this global cataclysm, I mean, it would have been a flash and then you'd be dead. That's how quick it would be. You literally would look up in the sky and it would be so fast you wouldn't even know that you were dead or that you died or that you fucking exploded. Okay? It's just, it can happen at literally any time. We're sitting ducks and there's nothing we can do. So why not look at this evidence that it has happened before or at least entertain it and be open to the evidence? That's the thing is that they're so closed off. And, and prepare for what if this happens again. Because honestly, guys, if a global cataclysm happens again, which causes something like uh, a restart button to hit on ancient, you know, our, on our civilization as we know it, we're done for. All of us. Because we rely on technology. A single sun flare, I mean, you, blackouts. You know, when blackouts happen, people lose their fucking minds and they don't know what to do with themselves. Right now, there's a global gas shortage because there's a little bit of a gas shortage. And so people are shitting their fucking pants and hoarding all of this gas for no reason. Imagine a meteor. Maybe not even as big as the one that started the Younger Dryas. Imagine, like, the Tunguska event, which... Um, once again, guys, go check out the Tunguska event because that was crazy. That was in, uh, I believe, the late 1800s, early 1900s. And it basically vaporized an entire forest and nobody even knew about it um, until they found all of these trees on their sides for miles, totally charred. And they're like, holy crap. Yeah, but so it can happen at any time, guys. And it doesn't even need to actually hit Earth and it doesn't even need to be big because that meteor that hit Tunguska or exploded above Tunguska, I'm sorry, it didn't even hit. It exploded above Tunguska. It actually was about the size of an SUV, and it vaporized miles of wildlife. Okay, think of something like the Younger Dryas um, meteor hypothesis, which uh, like was damn near half the size of Australia. Okay, that would be... That, that would literally reset everything. So... Yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm coming from. Is that the modern academia doesn't want to accept this this theory, and it's disingenuous. And I, I feel like we need to really open up to it. And I feel like with the help of you guys listening to this podcast and other podcasts of the like and other YouTube channels, I hope that we can get the word out and we can really start to kind of change and rewrite history here. Because that's kind of the whole goal here is to get the true information out there. I don't want you guys to know anything that's false. Okay, I want to. I want you guys to know the truth, just like I want to know the truth. Okay? But uh, I guess, sorry, I kind of went off on a little bit of a tangent there, but I'm just really passionate about this kind of stuff. Anyways, uh, who do you think is depicted on the Sphinx, guys? Is it Sheferin? Is it maybe his father, Khufu? Uh, however, Khufu doesn't look like him. In fact, he looks even less like the Sphinx, but I don't know. Is it an ancient black African king or queen or someone or something completely different? Maybe there was actually a sphinx of some sort. I don't know. It's really weird. But uh, I mean, why can't we just get some photos of the chambers under the sphinx? It just seems fishy. 
to me that nobody wants to know what's in the chambers. Like even Dr. Zahi Hawass is like, yeah, it's no big deal. I don't care that nobody knows what's under there. What the fuck? Anyways, guys, I mean, that's, that's pretty much where I'm going to leave it today. I really appreciate you guys listening. Like seriously, it really means a lot to me. I work really hard on this stuff and it's serious. I've been getting a lot of outpour of support from you guys. I'm growing in followers on social media. I'm getting more high profile guests on here and I'm having more interesting conversations and in-depth conversations. So I'm very happy to have you guys listening today. And uh, on the plus side, also, I forgot to mention, I got a new computer. I'm not sure if I mentioned that before, but I, but I got a new computer. And so hopefully the, the cutoffs on interviews won't happen anymore. Anyways, guys, I'm going to leave it at that. I really appreciate you guys listening. Again, it, it seriously means a lot to me. And uh, be sure to check me out on Spotify. You can check me out on Google, Apple Podcasts, Instagram, at Unquestionable Podcast. If you're interested in being a guest, you're more than welcome to message me on Instagram, on Facebook, or you can email me at calsmithmusicinfo at gmail.com. If you believe in God, aliens, UFOs, Bigfoot, if you're a Bigfoot hunter, you think you've been abducted by aliens, can you channel aliens? Are you psychic? Um, I mean, do you have evidence for God? Because that'd be really cool. You know, I'm open to, to evidence for God. You know, I'd love to have that conversation with somebody. Do you have evidence of an ancient civilization or something different? Maybe some sort of extraterrestrial civilization? I would love to hear your guys' opinions and beliefs. My whole motto here is I want to know as many true things and as few false things as possible. And the best way to do that is to do some intensive questioning. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm going I'm to question you pretty good because I'm quite the skeptic. But you can't convince me, guys. But with that, I'm going to leave it there. And remember... You got to question everything.